Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. A special edition of Stats versus Film. Of course, of course, we have all of the stats in the film, the fancy usage model of the most recent biggest performances in the NFL calendar, but it's also a trade deadline reaction. So we've got you covered with Chase Claypool to the Bears, Naeem Hines to the Bills, Jeff Wilson to the Dolphins, even Calvary to the Jaguars, and uh, TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings. We'll hit on all of those fits as we go along here. Again, the foundation of the show is Hayden Winks's fantasy usage model. Uh, I can't wait to roll today. There's so much to say, so much to do. Let's kick it off. Hayden with the errors of the Cardinals. What have you seen? From this team, from my seat, a little bit nervous that maybe the Rondale Moore eight targets, seven receptions, 92 yards and one touchdown stat line is being a bit overhyped. Yeah, it typically is just because like the eight dots a little bit lower than you'd want. Uh, he is playing in two wide receiver sets. I don't know how long that's going to last, but Robbie Anderson's been in a, a very unique role playing just a couple snaps, all downfield stuff. Uh, they can't run the ball right now. So I'm, I'm wondering if James Conner returning will, will eat into the Rondell more stuff. I think most of the offense is just Kyler's ability to scramble around and then DeAndre Hopkins in isolation. Uh, so I think Rondell's fine. But I yeah. don't see him getting out of like the wide receiver forward discussion. He's not that interesting to me, really. I've seen him as like now a must start, things of the sort. And what I want to bring up is I believe his first five touches were all at or behind the line of scrimmage. He had an eight out of one and a half yards. That's exactly what we saw from last season. And the reason why he got home was because he sat in the zone in these five yard patterns and the tackling by the Vikings was just totally atrocious. Right. Like we're not seeing anything different than what we saw last year. It just ran pure this weekend. Um, and when Marquise Brown gets back, like that is final, the final form of, of this Cardinals offense. Um, I just was hoping because we had seen little segments, little glimmers of like something different from Rondale. But what we really might see are him sitting in these soft areas. If it is DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown running down the field. And that's like the best bet that we have for, for Rondale Moore here. It is easier for him to earn these targets because two tight ends uh, like AJ Green only played like 39% of the routes. They're using Trey McBride a lot. And that's easier just to get a target underneath uh, when you're dealing with a bunch of tight ends. So uh, right now in the fantasy usage model, Rondell Moore, the wide receiver 36 over the last month, wide receiver 31 in produc uh, production, wide receiver three flex, wide receiver four kind of depending on your league format. I don't really see him breaking beyond that. Atlanta Falcons are up next. We finally got middle of field routes from Kyle freaking Pitts. Nine targets, five receptions, 80 yards, and a score. It's exactly what we've been asking for. I thought that yak opportunity that he had closer to the line of scrimmage on the left sideline really showcased how great of an athlete that he was. But I don't think we can expect this type of, again, volume each week because Arthur Smith loves to uh, – this is probably the most he's extended himself in the passing game. Let's put it that way. 
Yeah, there's some design stuff. There's also just Marietta going through first, second, third yep. reads to him. He's just such a dynamic athlete. Uh, always used around the goal line, sometimes kind of in unique ways. Sometimes there's a defensive holding and those type of things. But, I mean, really, like, I, if you're doing tight end rankings the rest of the season, like, where is he? Like, I mean, look at all the rest of the names. Who, who, watch Kyle Pitts and then tell me you're going to be ranking him as, like, the tight end 10. Now, I think I'm just going to go back to where he was. But not, like, tight end three, tight end four, tight end five, but maybe something like tight end yeah. seven, tight end eight. I mean, would you rather have Ertz or Pitts the rest of the season? Ertz. Yeah, I'm not sure. It'd be close for me. I mean, the big difference between the two is Zach Ertz is seeing tons of targets inside the 10-yard line, and Kyle Pitts has received a couple in the last few weeks, and one has gone for a score and one has not, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's still basically a touchdown-dependent tight end. Yeah, L- last week for Pitts, though, 87% routes and then 13.9 expected half PPR points. Th- that was a season high, so. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? And I always tell myself this. We're still not going to get a discount for Kyle Pitts next season, you know, because like there's enough glimmers. There's enough of the highlight reels that you can put together. And and we probably shouldn't with like a different quarterback. Um, I just don't see this changing, you know, like it is working enough for them to be leading in the NFC South. So I don't think Arthur Smith is just going to unleash this passing attack. We keep saying this every single week. And so I'm not saying it's a Kyle Pitts problem. Like, I don't think you and I are disagreeing here per se. He's still an awesome athlete. I think it's up to Marcus Mariota to hit on the concepts where Kyle Pitts right. is open for him to get the production and more of these middle of the field patterns. Like we saw with these three targets here over the middle this past weekend to me makes it easier for Marcus than we have seen those vertical routes in the past, which is what I didn't want to happen. Yeah, for sure. He can just win everywhere. So I think if they give him the rock enough, he will transcend where he's being used uh, just when it comes like the fantasy usage model and those type of things. I will we'll want to go back to what you just said, though, about we can never uh, like be buying low on Kyle Pitts because all it takes is one game. But that's when, when, you, when we know that players are good and their yeah. price has dropped trade for them because all it takes is one game for them to do well. And then guess what? Their price corrects right back to where the hype was. So when you get these players like DJ Moore recently and Kyle Pitts, where everyone likes them and the price has just gone lower and lower and lower buy that dip because it takes one good game for Kyle Pitts. Good luck trying to trade for Kyle Pitts. Now Baltimore Ravens, Rashad Bateman is going to miss multiple weeks. His injury was worse than originally feared by the team. Uh, this brings up multiple questions and we should also bring up that Mark Andrews left early in the game last Thursday with a shoulder issue, but that one does not sound significant. So how do you want to talk about this pass catching group? Because Isaiah likely stepped in for Mark Andrews had seven targets, six receptions, 77 yards and a score. But again, from my perspective, he's almost a tight end insurance type and doesn't necessarily bring standalone value to the table. Yeah, Isaiah likely season high 10.8 expected half PPR points last week with Bateman and Andrews banged up. We'll see if Andrews can come back this week. If if he is out, uh, I do think Isaiah likely would be pretty interesting as like a tight end one two border. Uh, I think Lamar oh, Jackson. I, I I would put Isaiah likely as a top eight tight end. Top okay, six yeah. tight end. I think that's I think that's totally fair. He's he's a good player. He's got like a little bit of wiggle to him. He kind of like leans forward and like is fighting for a bunch of yards. Uh, Devin Duvernay, I think, is definitely interesting for the next couple weeks here. With Rashad Bateman, he's been averaging 5.8 expected half PPR points. Without him, that goes up to 9.5. He has been one of the more efficient players. He's made a, a, just, just about one big play every single week. 
Uh, Demarcus Robinson's obviously going to get a boost as well. He had a season high 11.4, expected half PPR points for last week. But I just think Devin Duvernay is much better. Um, and the running back rotation, they're still trying to figure it out. They're dealing with uh, even more injuries now. So it just really just comes down to is Mark Andrews going to be active? Uh, but I think that right now, Devin Duvernay is at least a flex option. And he might have just enough usage to be like a wide receiver three. Yeah, I was hoping that the Ravens would be buyers at the trade deadline in terms of wide receivers, but the price was just way too rich, you know, and almost certainly the Steelers wouldn't have trade Chase Claypool, Chase Claypool over here. And the reason I say that is, you know, we keep asking for it. Other than Rashad Bateman, there's no real like isolation beater on their team, right? Um, and so it's almost reliant still on Mark Andrews, who in some of these games recently has gotten more attention over the middle of the field, somewhat bracket coverage, and then, you know, manufactured touches to Devin Duvernay, which are really fun and really awesome. In fact, I love this one, which which showed uh, Patrick Ricard motioning out almost all the way to the numbers, snapping the football with, again, this 300-pound fullback basically in motion, uh, and then allowing him just to get to the second level and seal off this play. Like, this is beautiful design and stuff. But then this puts so much pressure on on Lamar Jackson just to continue to be great, yep. like he was against the Bucs and fading away, that while they added to their defense and Roquan Smith and that can improve, um, I don't know without Rashad Bateman if we're going to see the best version of the Ravens offense this season because it's almost another lost year for the second-year player. Yeah, it's, it really is. And we were hoping that he was going to be more than what he was showing this year on top of it. So lots of pressure on Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson right now. Buffalo Bills, our first trade. Naeem Hines for a sixth rounder. So the Bills have been searching for this type of talent for a very long time, dating back to last for agent cycle. They had a contract agreed to with J.D. McKissick. He bounced at the deadline. Uh, then they go and select James Cook with their first draft pick, I believe, this past April in the second round, immediately citing Jaden McKissick and that type, and they barely have trusted him. So as we've talked about with Devin Singletary this season, he's been in, in 76% of their negative or neutral game scripts. How do you think Naeem Hines fits into this backfield that now is three with Zach Moss going in the other direction as well? Just pure talent. I think he's the best running back on the team. I, I don't think it's that close. Devin Singletary has been okay at best. Uh, he's kind of just like a, a volume sponge to me. Like right now, he's bottom five in my uh, fancy points over expected model. Um, there is no like between the tackles carrier. So that's going to remain Devin Singletary. He's probably going to play the most snaps. But Naeem Hines, I think is going to be a pretty big uh, person in this offense. Maybe not in November, but I think by December in the NFL playoffs, he's going to be a big part of what they do. I think that we can see the bills basically pass the ball, like at league breaking rates, the rest of the way he can win on the outside. He can win from the backfield. He really is just a perfect fit. And like you said, they've been searching for this player for a couple of years now. And I think of the types like JD McKissick, James cook himself, um, some other names that they flirted out, out around with. I just think Naeem Hines, like one tier above yep. all of those players as a talent. Remember our first summer doing this, we had Robert Mays on the show and we like drafted 11, uh, seven on seven teams. That was great. And I think Naeem Hines was the first back off the board because he called Naeem Hines the best route runner of any running back. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me think, because again, they keep chasing this type, that we haven't even really seen how the Bills want to utilize this type. 
You know, like Devin Singletary has been relied on as a true running back in the system and just checkdowns in the structure of the offense. Um, we haven't seen anything really schematic other than just a couple of James Cook motioning out and then running some fades and doing that stuff. Yeah. And we'll get to James Cook in a little bit. But Naeem Hines can do a lot more crazy stuff than that. Like yep. this is almost a budget version of Christian McCaffrey in the passing game where you get someone on angle routes against linebackers or safeties, true patterns when you motion them out and go empty. Out of empty, you can get Josh Allen to then run the ball as well. Um, again, despite trying to find this type of player, I don't know if we've even seen this section of the playbook from the Buffalo Bills, and that is already scary when we're in week eight and this is a top three offense in the league. I just see this like when they're going to face a bunch of too high coverage instead of running the ball out of that look. Now you're going to have these option routes uh, like that one against like linebackers where there's space to the left or the right of you because you have too high safety. So it's just a, it's just a great fit now for fantasy purposes. I think that I would, I'll probably end up be ranking Devin Singletary slightly ahead of Naeem Hines. But the RB two days that Devin Singletary was getting, I think, are pretty much over. Maybe you get another mm. week or two of those. But I just think that he was so, so, so volume dependent because he's not like a big play threat. He was he was catching some passes in some games. Sometimes he wasn't. The goal line stuff just doesn't always end up working out for him to that degree. So I think that I'm going to probably be ranking him as like RB 26 or somewhere around there. Uh, once Naim Hines is integrated and probably Naim Hines like as an RB 33, something like that. I would be ranking Naim Hines in waiver wire stuff very high just because I do think he's the insurance option as well. We've seen the Colts sprinkle in Naeem Hines whenever JT misses. And I think that in this Bills offense, he can for sure see 80% of the snaps. It's a way different offense than what the Colts are doing. I think that's going to play right into the high end skill set. So I think he should be rostered basically in every single league. Do you have a quick James Cook conversation here? Because I brought this up last night during Monday Night Football when it sounded like Naeem Hines was going to get dealt. That to me, it made the most sense for the Buffalo Bills to make this deal. He immediately got feedback of, well, what does that mean for James Cook? Are they already giving up on him? After that first game, it was so clear that this team could not trust James Cook. You know, he only played in garbage time situations. Sure, you can throw week eight at me um, at where he got, you know, six touches few of those three of those I think were in the second quarter then he didn't touch the ball again until the fourth quarter um that was after the bye that was with Zach Moss as an inactive player and it just felt like from again zooming out a grand scheme of things they've never been able to trust James Cook so with a team that is in their window to win that has wanted a player with this type of skill set that is actually difficult to find this trade for nothing a six rounder makes so much sense so much sense. Looking at Naeem Hines' contract right now, he's 26 years old. Next year, he has no guaranteed money in 2024, no guaranteed money. He's ba- basically making like $5 million per, uh, which is not crazy running back money at all. That's kind of like a Chase Edmonds type of deal, but I just think that Naeem Hines has proven to be better than Chase Edmonds by a lot. Carolina Panthers. I have three player clips to show us for uh, the wow. Panthers, which is nuts. But after you put together I, two really great games offensively, there's a lot to discuss here. Uh, let's start off with the running back position. I don't think Chuba Hubbard should see 40% of the work when he comes back, um, which is crazy in that he was leading this backfield before he got injured. And that's when Deontay Foreman really got like the lead back role. Now we've seen in this past game, 26 carries, 118 yards and three scores. For Foreman, uh, he is a hammer, man. He delivers the blow each and every time. And then 
back-to-back weeks, we have legit big playability from him, which when you consider he's coming off an Achilles tear as well in his past, yeah, Deontay Foreman is really impressive so far, and that's not words I would have ex- expected to say this early in the season. Yeah, last week, 22.7 expected half PPR points. He wasn't playing all the passing downs, but he was running like an absolute legend uh, and just breaking a bunch of tackles. So, yeah, very exciting. I will just keep mentioning the Panthers offensive line is playing better than like yep. what their name tags would would be. So I don't know what what's happened the last couple weeks here with the coaching staff or any of that. But uh, Dante Foreman has really looked pretty solid. I'm with you. Chuba Hubbard's never looked that great to me. I know they were trying to get him going the week prior, but uh, I think Deontay Foreman's clearly the, their best running back. And that's that's about as much juice on that last play right there that you can expect from somebody coming off an Achilles tear, especially someone with his size. Uh, yeah, he's pretty he's pretty interesting. And when you consider that Chuba Hubbard kind of plays small, I think you yeah. and I can both say this. It's a very different type of back that Deontay Foreman brings to the table. Uh, love it. Love to see it. They play the Bengals here in week nine. Um, Bengals team not saying that that Deontay Foreman is, is Nick Chubb, but just got run over. And then right after that is the same Falcons team on Thursday Night Football that we mm-hmm. just saw. So yep. something to consider. Okay, now to the passing game here. Because DJ Moore... 11 targets, six receptions, 152 yards, and a score. Sure, you could say that like 65 of those yards and a touchdown are fluky. At the same time, if you go back and watch this game, P.J. Walker missed him earlier for like a 65-yard touchdown. So like the opportunity and everything was there. And then I want to bring up what Terrace Marshall did as well because a former second rounder who won on the inside and the outside in college, we're starting to see that development too. Yeah, DJ Moore, the classic buy low bet on talent player for this year. He's up to the wide receiver 13 over the last month in usage, the wide receiver 16. Uh, These Christian McCaffrey splits getting stronger and stronger last week, 18.3 expected half PPR points. That is insane. Just for reference, it was 9.4 with CMC and Robbie Anderson. So uh, he's been incredible. We know that he has the talent in him. Uh, PJ Walker's arm is very live, very, very live. And that's what DJ Moore needs because he's so explosive on the perimeter so you're seeing some of these cover two shots uh this is excellent passes yep yeah he just he's just a really good player there's nobody else to throw the ball to terrace marshall is out there for every single snap at this point i think 40 of 42 routes last week but we all know that dj moore is like light years ahead of anybody else on this team yeah i'm just happy that and a player who has kind of face planted through a season and a half in the league, who I thought was really talented in Terrace Marshall. He's, he's getting his chance now and he's maximizing Mm -hmm. it, you know, heading into his rookie season. He was the star of training camp. I thought he would make his mark inside of the 20 yard line. And I mean, Robbie Anderson had to leave shy Smith. Who's been playing in the slot had to, you know, fall on his face for Terrace Marshall to get an opportunity. And now it's working. So bigger question here with the Panthers, Um, because we've already had to basically adjust expectations, reset expectations on them two or three times, you know, just in eight weeks of the season. Right. So where are we at? Like, is DJ Moore now, after these last two weeks, a top 24 wide receiver? I think so. Yeah, why not? And then is Terrace Marshall fighting for the, I don't know, Devin Duvernay? like tier of wide receivers, maybe just below that in terms of wide receiver groupings. Yeah. I mean, last week, perfect matchup game went absolutely nuts. He did have 15.1 expected half PPR points. So he's alive. Like I think in a deeper league, 12 team league, really deep benches. Terrace Marshall is somebody you can add for cheap on waiver wires. 
I don't want to get too carried away just because I don't, I think this offense will mostly be DJ Moore and then a random breakout game from one of these other receivers, a big play here and there. Um, but just want to give credit to the Panthers resetting yeah. this organization as quickly as you possibly could. It was clearly over getting all those draft picks for Christian McCaffrey, letting Deonta Foreman do a little something, clearing Robbie Anderson, getting a young player, Terrace Marshall, who may not be a starter long-term, but you had at least want to give him some reps to see what's going to happen. PJ Walker's playing well enough where I think that you can sign him to be your long-term backup. And then you have the draft picks to actually make a move for a legit franchise quarterback. Start, stop playing whack-a-mole at the position this is how you actually reset be aggressive don't pretend that you're going to be competing for wild card spots when you know your team is not very good of that now falcons dbs might be the worst in the nfl but the Bengals are losing a ton of players on their cornerback spot again who they play here in week nine and then you play the falcons once again so this is like the type of thing that's repeatable and what you said about the falcons of the thing that people remember is the bottoming out of what we just saw that was so true, and I should have done a better job of being aware of that when, you know, P.J. Walker had a negative average depth of throw. It was only going to get better from there, but this is even better than that. And it oh, just yeah. feels oh, like yeah. they're, they're playing carefree, but it, it is the type of stuff that we're seeing week to week plus the offensive line that, that makes me believe in it to that degree. And just closing this out, Deontay Foreman, top 20 back. Yeah, for right now he is. Chicago Bears also made a move at the deadline. Chase Claypool for a second round pick. Your thoughts. This was my least favorite move right now. And I say this as a Justin Fields supporter. I think Chase Claypool is okay. He's like an average starter to me. I don't think he's going to transcend that. He's had enough time, but he's kind of not just a, he's not a gadget receiver, but he's somewhere kind of in between that. And I just think the draft compensation is way too high. You, you get one more year out of him. That's great. Uh, you got to evaluate Justin Fields to an extent. Fine, that's cool too. But that's currently the 43rd overall pick. I think you have close to 50-50 odds of that rookie that you're going to be drafting at that pick to be just better than Chase Claypool, and you're going to have to pay Chase Claypool earlier. And I just really just don't think that we have to play this game where adding an average wide receiver is going to truly help us evaluate Justin Fields. If your process is that we need to see Chase Claypool in the lineup to decide whether or not Justin Fields are franchise quarterback, to me is a bit ridiculous to say, and that's just like kind of just narrative hunting. I think that they should have waited uh, until the off season. Like you pointed out on Twitter, Amari Cooper, these type of deals happen when there's more time to breathe and you're not feeling uh, so overwhelmed that you have to make a trade or at the move at the deadline. To me, Justin Fields already played well enough this year in the last couple of weeks where I would be giving him the next year, no matter what happens. You yeah. know, he has too much skill. You've invested into him too much. He's shown you just enough. Wait till the off season trade, get some rookies in there. We don't need chase Claypool. He's not going to be solving Justin Fields or the Chicago bears. To me, this is way too rich. Many great points there to me. The idea of chase Claypool after his, 11 touchdown rookie season has always been better than what we've seen from Chase Claypool since that rookie year, you know, um, because you see this massive frame who creates after the catch, who's won some contested, although he's about 49% during Ben Roethlisberger's final year. Um, and you think, oh, oozes potential, alpha potential. Um, I just don't see it as a route runner. I see yeah. it mainly on crossing routes where he's building up speed again to win and, and be powerful after the catch. And then some of those manufactured touch sweeps near the goal line is where he's at his best. 
Um, it's also been weird like the last two seasons, and it's because you know this team adds George Pickens, where he basically played in 2020 75% on the outside, and this year he's been 75% on the inside. Now, I think in a Luke Getze offense where we see lately a bunch of Justin Fields throws on the move, some mm-hmm. crossing route patterns, so on and so forth, like that can feed into the you know positives where he wins for Chase Claypool, but for a your second round pick for the bears, not the one you just got from the Ravens. Yeah. That is super rich in the context of all these other moves for skill position players that we have seen throughout the league right now. Again, I think there is something there, but this is also a Pittsburgh Steelers team that has identified wide receiver talent so well. And it felt like from what Josina Anderson was saying, they've wanted to move away from chase people for quite some time. Yeah, that's not a good sign. The best team in the league that evaluates receivers is trading you the receiver. Usually, I would have some alarm bells going. I, to me, like I think he's a big slot. I think he's better in that role. He can win on the outside if you need to. But I think Darnell Mooney is a number two. I think Chase Claypool somewhere around a number two, number three big slot. They still need a number one wide receiver. This is not – you can't go into 2023 with Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool. They're going to be adding to the position. Use a first-round pick on a legit – number one wide receiver and then you find a chase claypool type of talent in free agency i know the next free agency class isn't very good find it via the draft don't make a last minute move here i really just don't understand the move especially because they just trade away roquan smith and uh their best edge rusher too this is a team clearly not trying to make the playoffs to uh that big of a degree this is for a future move and i think there's a little bit short-sighted um especially when like calvin ridley is going for a future second a future second and a fifth for Calvin Ridley, and then you get Chase Claypool for a second. I don't know about that. Yeah, and you couldn't get two more different players. I mean, because Claypool's all physical and not much detail or nuance to his game. Uh, he just has to out-athlete people. And he's done that at times. You know, he's done mm-hmm. that at times for sure. It is interesting. I mean, his dot has dropped from 13.2 in 2020 to 11.5 in 2021 to 9.45 this season. Uh I think he even said that he wanted more vertical patterns, more downfield routes. And we know that Justin Fields has the fourth highest average depth of throw so far this season. So they have to do something creative with him. He's not just like a plug and play. Hey, go out there and do what you do. We're going to get you the football and the timing of the offense. There has to be some creativity tagged onto it. But maybe Luke Getzey can do it because we've seen some new wrinkles to this team over the last two or three weeks. I think Darnell Mooney is similar. Like they don't like Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney don't play like each other, but Darnell Mooney is the same thing. You got to get him scripted a little bit. He has some juice when you can get him downfield or on the move. I I know I was pretty negative there with the Bears, but I am happy. It is a fun thing for the league yeah. for Justin Fields to have some players around. I don't think it's the right decision for the Bears per se, but I'm excited that the team's actually trying a little bit for Justin Fields. I was worried a couple weeks ago that he was just never going to get a legit chance. At least this move signals to me that the Bears are going to try to build around Justin Fields, that he has proven that he's worthy of that for at least one more year. Before we move on, if you're still with us, about 60% of you who watch this show every single week are not subscribed to the channel. I know you make it this far. You love the information. Don't be a loser. Subscribe. Hit it down below. It's free. It's fun. You like us. Join us for the rest of the season. Boom. Cincinnati Bengals. It was brutal on Monday night. Um, My biggest fear here is without Jamar Chase, they're not putting an injured reserve, even though it's like a hairline fracture on his hip, something like that. That's weird. Um, I don't think they could take a single series from Monday night 
and say, hey, without Jamar Chase, this still works. You know, uh, the offensive line crumbled, but then Joe Burrow, partially because of that and just the offense had to change. 31% of his passes were targeted behind the line of scrimmage. Behind the line of scrimmage. That was huge for the, you know, the prop bets for Joe Mixon and his higher or lower. But man, that number's at 16% for the rest of the season. Yeah. So something's got to change a little bit, even though we did get a, that nice two-play sequence from Tyler Boyd that we've been calling for. I think the biggest culprit here was Jonah Williams. He gave up three sacks and then had two pass deflections. One of those pass deflections turned into an interception. There was a lot of swing passes to Joe Mixon early in the game, a couple under center runs, which was kind of new compared to the last couple weeks. But I'm with you. It didn't seem like there was a single pass deep downfield over the middle. And that's why I was asking you to get those, those charts is because I didn't feel anything. Everything was to the perimeter in this yep. week. Joe Burrow missed a couple passes too low, a couple passes too high on the perimeter. There was a couple instances where I think T Higgins would have had a huge play, but it was like a, defensive holding something happened uh where he didn't get the exact explosive they were moving the ball okay and then just something bad would happen joe mixon had a brutal game this year's been a really bad season for joe mixon just in general he hasn't been breaking nearly as many tackles he had a bad pass protection issue that led to uh that joe burrow strip sack had a couple drops out there he is getting some more targets which is good for fantasy but um it was just some of those passes like a, that crossing route to, to Mike Thomas, where he dropped it. Typically that's Jamar chase and he catches that into the house. So like, that's yeah. like the difference between what happened last week. But I think really it was just the left tackle and right tackle play was really bad. And I, I thought my eyes told me that Tyler Boyd was lining more up outside, but then I just checked and no, he was still 43 snaps in the slot and eight out wide. So maybe it was just a few snaps early on. Cleveland Browns. Speaking of all these wide receiver deals, uh, the Browns deal for Amari Cooper this offseason for what a fifth rounder yep. might be the most shrewd move we see all year because mm -hmm. when the offensive line gives Jacoby Brissett time and Jacoby Brissett like hits his back foot and delivers a nice football, Amari Cooper is constantly roasting these guys in, in man coverage and he's been doing it all season long. I know it hit pure this weekend and it's not something we can take every single week because that's not the foundation of the Browns offense. But man, when you consider the money and the picks being thrown around at wide receiver. Well done, Andrew Barry in the Browns front office. Yeah, it was a great move. Uh, right now, he's the wide receiver eight over the last month and usage wide receiver oh. 11 in production. Uh, he's been flirting with his like kind of top 15 status. And I've been pretty aggressive in my rankings every single week, probably ranking him a little bit ahead of where the market is just because he has legit usage. And these are with the Browns saying relatively close in games. And like last week, they were blowing him out, but he's still making massive plays. Donovan Peoples-Jones is creeping up into like deep flex territory if you need him just because he's a two wide receiver set starter. But I think for today's news, the big stuff is just Kareem Hunt does not get traded. He was asking for a trade. It just doesn't seem like uh, anything really was materializing. So Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, status quo. I did feel like Kareem Hunt was getting more involved this last week in the last two weeks than he was earlier this year. Maybe that's something we can hit on later this week, but it, it has felt like, and not again for an audition for a move, but it wasn't purely the Nick Chubb show, even though Nick Chubb scored plenty of points for us. Uh, Kareem Hunt has gotten even more involved despite, you know, the split being further apart than we expected most of the yeah. season. Yeah, he's he's up to the RB33 over the last month, Kareem Hunt is. So you can do worse as a flex play, but he hasn't graduated to that. Uh, Harrison Bryant, disappointing 42% routes in week eight, does not have the David and Joker rule. Dallas Cowboys. 
So what we get, should we have the Tony Pollard conversation, Hayden? Let's do it. So Tony Pollard saw 11 touches this past weekend and crushed. No, excuse me. Tony Pollard saw 15 touches this weekend and crushed. That is not a bell cow feature back role that I think people are suggesting he should have because he's been averaging 11 touches this season. Do you think anything is going to change from this point on? We've heard the Jerry Jones comments. We've seen reactions in the past, even though Tony Pollard has been explosive on his minimal carries. I think some things will slightly change, but I don't think that we'll have like a legit flipping. Even last week, like you mentioned, was not a full-time player. Now he would have gotten more than 15 touches if he wasn't so busy taking 60 yard touches to the house. Um, <laughs> but uh I think how they should use him, and this is just me playing uh, fantasy land because I don't, I don't expect this to happen. Is give me the DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams. You know, I want yep. Tony Pollard as DeAndre Swift, early down, explosive runs, design some t- touches out in space, get him going. If you think that uh, Zeke is better in pass protection, which I do agree with, and maybe better at the goal line, then have him play the Jamal Williams role. But Tony Pollard is clearly better uh, between the tackles when you're at the 50 yard line on first and ten. I think he should get more snaps. Now, Jerry Jones came out and fully said that's not going to happen, but very cool to see Tony Pollard get his chance. We've been teasing everybody in fantasy circles for multiple years that he would be a top five fantasy running back. Something happened to uh, Zeke Elliott, and we totally got it. I keep reacting to these plays because so many of these runs are like supposedly for short gains or on short down and distance, and yet he hits the hole with explosion makes the linebacker at the second level miss or, you know, the lane is perfectly blocked up and he creates a big play off of it. Um, I am not anti Ezekiel Elliott, but this is just something that adds even more explosion to an offense that many other teams across the league cannot say that we are getting better once week eight is hitting. And I think the Cowboys are one of those teams offensively. Mm-hmm. Um it's not that Zeke has been among the worst backs in the league. I think he's probably been average, you know, and, and you look at efficiency and so on and so forth. But Tony Pollard's been like top four, top five in all those, in explosive plays, in per carry basis, everything. So maybe it goes from 11 touches to like 13 touches, maybe. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I just think as a whole, it raises the ceiling of what we've seen of this team, along with Michael Gallup being back. And this team has changed some things with, you know, Dak Prescott coming back for Cooper Rush, where they're running play action at the second highest rate in the league over the last two weeks. And a lot of these plays are now coming from under center, where it mm-hmm. felt like last season with Kellen Moore, it was a lot of shotgun. And I even think the running game will thrive better under center versus shotgun runs as well. Yeah, just looking at my model, which um, is a pretty, it's like next gen stats type of stuff where you can see over expectations. Zeke Elliott had 10.6 a half PPR points on 10.2, so just plus 0.4. Tony Pollard's been at plus 3.8, so way more efficient in my metrics. Uh, that's everybody's metrics, not just mine. And Malik Davis also had 10 touches over the weekend. Something big. to consider. Okay. Denver Broncos. It felt like earlier this year, Jerry Judy was the wide receiver we couldn't trust and Cortland Sutton was the opposite. And now it feels like over the last what couple of weeks, Jerry Judy is the one that has some consistency to his game. This past weekend, it was seven targets, six receptions, 63 yards and a score. 
what do we do here? Because <laughs> it's also the Broncos offense and Russell Wilson, and it's all sucked. Yeah, Jerry Judy is now wide receiver 19 over the last month in usage. Corlin Sutton wide receiver 33. I think this is mostly just noise. They're going back and forth. It wasn't the same. Corlin Sutton did have a brutal drop. He was also severely underthrown a couple times by Russell Wilson. I don't think that it's like a chemistry thing or anything like that. I think it's just the way the cookie is kind of crumbled here. Wide receiver is such a volatile position. I wouldn't read into the trends here too much. They probably should be ranked fairly similar. Um, Corlin Sutton hasn't played as well as I thought he did early on this season. I also probably just noise, but Russell Wilson still missing a couple throws, had a couple of explosive plays here, was able to squeak out a win. Um, I, I didn't think it looked all that pretty still. Maybe it's a, less of like a Jerry Judy conversation and more of a Chase Claypool conversation. A guy who has one reception for 13 yards, three receptions for 23 yards and two receptions for 14 yards. Granted, one of those was a Brett Ripien, but like as someone who was drafted as what, like the wide receiver 13 or 14 this off season, it's getting to a point where even with bye weeks, like, well, I got to see something different in order to, in order to start him or, or wish for something that we saw earlier in the season. Cause like three game stretch, it's pretty freaking bad. Yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. I, I think they're both like round like wide receiver 30 something in my rankings. Okay. So the Broncos sent a first round selection or received a first round selection for Bradley Chubb, an edge rusher to the Miami Dolphins. As part of that deal, they received Chase Edmonds. Uh, you cannot get a more mediocre backfield than Melvin Gordon, Latavius Murray, and Chase Edmonds. Talk me through it. Mike Clay called this like the commander's uh, backfield, but just worse. And we have J.D. McKissick and Chase Edmonds in that role. Then Melvin as kind of Antonio Gibson. And then you have Brian Robinson as Latavius Murray. It's not it's not good. You know, it's just not not good. I, I would call mediocre probably a, a compliment for what how they played this year. And Greg Dulcich is a top 12 tight end the rest of the way. He's been good. Detroit Lions. So DeAndre Swift returns to the lineup after the bye week and after another game. What we heard from Dan Campbell was not positive in that regard, though. Quote, we probably gave Swift one too many carries. We love DeAndre Swift. Glad he's out there, but he's not back. That's what Dan Campbell said after five carries and five wow. receptions. Five carries, five receptions, just 10 touches. I didn't think he looked right. I'm glad he scored a touchdown on that angle route. But it might sound like they could even scale back that workload. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to pay attention to whatever the injury reports uh, say. Hopefully he has some full practices. Yeah. Only 54% snaps. Jamal Williams had 36% routes, um, but he was the one getting the inside the five goal line touches. Uh, he actually had both of them, Jamal Williams. So uh, DeAndre Swift, he's been averaging in his three healthy games this, this season, 9.5 expected half PPR points, which is like what like running back three status. He's been so damn good on them because he's an explosive player, but we'll have to pay attention. Those, those quotes are pretty damning. Yeah. To your point, Joe Mixon still leads the NFL with 19 carries inside of the 10 yard line. Jamal Williams, even after having a bye week is right after that with 16 and has scored six touchdowns off of those. I love my little compilation I built for Jamal Williams and he keeps improving with even more dance moves. It's like my favorite part of Sundays whenever he scores a touchdown. <laughs> okay. Let's jump to uh, the green Bay Packers. Hold on. Can we talk about real quick? Sorry to do this to you to the TJ Hawkins inside. Like, I was going to save it for the Vikings. Okay. All right. Cause Fair there's enough. nothing else to talk about with the Vikings. Yes. So stay tuned everyone for the Vikings or just skip ahead in the timestamps when Hayden posts them. Green Bay Packers. 
did not make a move. I think that's really notable for Romeo Dobbs. I know it's been ups and downs and some frustration, Aaron Rodgers directing it at Romeo Dobbs, but for a team that has no incoming talent, I understand that uh, Torre got a little bit of work, just a tiny sample of snaps, but that circus catch that Romeo Dobbs made, I just think they're going to have to like live with some of the growing pains and ride it out with him as one of the starting wide receivers in this team. So I could see the trajectory continuing to go up for him. I was coming into the show calling him the sell high of the week. So wow. We a little bit different uh, opinions here. He did get home late in the game. He did make that insane uh, play. Actually had two great catches, but early in the game, very early in the game, two wide receiver sets. It was Christian Watson and Sammy Watkins. Afterwards, after that, they bring in a third wide receiver. It's Amari Rogers into the slot. It wasn't until after Christian Watson leaves with his concussion that Romeo Dobbs started getting involved. And we played the last week. He was the one that was super frustrated. And actually that Torre touched on the long one that was on that broken play where he actually went back towards Aaron Rodgers side. We went on the show a couple weeks ago and talked about how Romeo Dobbs ran the wrong direction and Aaron Rodgers put into the fourth row and was clearly pissed off yeah. at him. So um, if Christian Watson is healthy, it seems like they're going to play him over Romeo Dobbs. They were doing it last week. Um, and then this is without even Alan Lazard in there. So I'm worried about playing time for Romeo Dobbs. So I would sell high on the box score here just because of the first quarter, he was not playing that much. Okay. We'll have to split up differently. I mean, I just don't think like, and maybe this is an Aaron Rodgers thing. I don't think Sammy Watkins is going to continue to play that many snaps. Christian Watson hasn't been able to stay healthy. And then I don't think this Torrey guy is going to go from 12 no. snaps up yeah. to, you know, 54 snaps. Right. So it's just, it's more of a bet on Alan Lazard. And I think that, Christian, I think it'll be somewhat of a rotation here. I, I, I'm not, I don't think that he'll be a two wide receiver set player when Christian Watson is back. Interesting. AJ okay. Dillon, man, he's been struggling. I was going to bring this up. You probably saw the tweet. AJ Dillon only has three rushing attempts inside the 10 yard line this season. Like this yeah. team's just not having red zone opportunities or inside the 10 yard line opportunities. In fact, Aaron Jones only has four of those carries. But like the theory of the play for A.J. Dillon is, hey, this is a good offense and he's going to get the high value touches. He has three carries yeah. inside the 10 yard line so far this season. And he freaking tricked me because they all happened like week one and then they've <laughs> completely gone away from him. He's missed some holes. Like he had one play where he was wide open lane. He had made one defender miss at the second level. He just hasn't looked very good, man. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is. I think part of it too is I know you're talking about missing holes, but they still haven't find like a starting five offensive lineman for like mm -hmm. two consecutive weeks yeah. all season long. Houston Texans, Davis Mills stinks. What are the He's Texans so doing? Bad. We knew this. It's a wasted okay. year. There's oh. a few things here. One, Brandon Cooks was liking tweets about a possible trade during practice today, which we he was excused of. Uh, he also had all of his production from this past weekend in garbage time on that final drive. Damien Pierce also got his touchdown with 17 seconds left in garbage time. This offense is being held back from Davis Mills. I'm not out on any of those two players I mentioned, even though Brandon Cooks may never play again for the Texans after saying, like, basically, I can blackmail everyone in the organization. Um, it's frustrating. I, 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 I think what it brings to my mind is that there are legit chances where you can see like a bottomed out offense. Like we saw from the Las Vegas Raiders this week that like zero points are scored. Yeah. It can get that bad for sure. I, I'm curious to see if Brandon cooks is going to suit up for him. It sounds like he wanted out 
teams were curious about him. He has $18 million guaranteed next year and that the Texans wanted too many draft picks and they chose not to take him. Man, like that's the stuff where you can just figure that out. Like lower your asking price if you're the Texans. Brandon Cooks is not part of your long-term future. And then the contract stuff, you have multiple years to uh, smooth that stuff out. So this is just like poor, poor, poor organizational stuff. Uh, I hope that this tweet that he was saying that if they crossed the line, he's covered up for the lies. I hope we get some Jack Easterby stories. Indianapolis Colts. So Frank Reich fired his offensive coordinator and Marcus Brady, uh, who beat writers say is the first time he's ever fired any of his coaching staff in midseason. It's weird because Marcus Brady isn't the one who's calling the plays. Frank Reich has been the one who's calling the plays. Uh, so it's consecutive weeks of, okay, we're benching Matt Ryan. Now we are firing our quote unquote OC non-play caller. Um, just weird stuff happening with the Colts right now. Uh, they do let Naeem Hines go in that deal that we talked about. The obvious replacement because of the passing downs that we've seen him in the past have is Deion Jackson, but yep. does it really matter? I think that in deeper leagues, you can pick up Deion Jackson now that we know that he would be like not a bell cow back, but something close to it. And especially with Jonathan Taylor, he's he got his ankle taped up big. Yeah. It was on the sideline. If you saw it, it was it was ginormous. It looked like a football around his ankle. So we'll have to see what his status is. This team is they're they're not blatantly tanking, but they they're playing for the future. And that there's no questions about that with all the moves that they have been making. I was curious, uh, have you got a chance to look at any of the Sam Ellinger stuff? I see maybe a slightly better version of Taylor Heineke. Yeah, I think he plays inside of the structure of the offense more yes. than Taylor Heineke. Uh, I don't think he has the athleticism necessarily to equal like the rushing production that he had in college. Yes, I don't think course. that part is translating to the pros. Um, but there was this cool play that it was just a short gain, but like Michael Pittman was supposed to run a pick play for a route for someone escaping to the outside. Michael Pittman missed his pick play. Sam yeah. Ellinger bought enough time against a free rusher, put it in the guy's chest and he still dropped it. Just like nothing is going right right now for the Colts. Yeah. And uh, for just for fantasy purposes, what we said going into the week, uh, the Colts went super shotgun heavy, no huddle rate and pass heavy last week. You got none of that. Uh, I believe is a season low when it comes to pass attempts and um, play volume in general. So it's going to be a tough, tough offense for fantasy success. Uh, I think Michael Pittman can hang in there to be a, a fantasy starter. Jonathan Taylor, I'm not sure if he's ever going to break out of like ranking him as like the RB 12. He's been fumbling. He just hasn't, he has not been the same Jonathan Taylor that we're used to. I don't, it's probably because of his ankle injury. The offensive line has not been as good. The offense in general hasn't been as good, but I don't think that we should be expecting like top five Jonathan Taylor for the rest of the season. No, and then over the next three games, they play the Indian. Uh, excuse me, they play the New England Patriots, the Las Vegas Raiders, and then the Philadelphia Eagles. Right after that, so the Patriots and the Eagles. When you're trying to run the ball, uh, that is not going to look great. I'm trying to look up where Jonathan Taylor is right now in, let's say, points per game, and he's all the way down. Oh my gosh. He's averaging 11.2 half PPR points on 15 oh expected half PPR. He's, he's one of, I think it's only Joe Mixon has uh, fewer points over expected this year. It's like running back 28 or something. That's and so he, bad. He was breaking my model last year. Now he's breaking my model, model on the other side. That's awful. Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's go to the fun stuff first. Let's talk about this Calvin Ridley trade, which does not impact the team in 2022 but should be a lot of fun here in 2023. Give us your take. 
This is like the exact move that the Chicago Bears should have done. You're trading a 2024 second round pick and next year's uh, fifth round pick, essentially, if things go right. But both teams would be happy if it's a future second and next year's fifth round pick. That's exactly what Trevor Lawrence needs. Next year, Calvin Ridley's only making $11 million. That's Adam Thielen, Robert Woods type of money here, not breaking the bank. Then they'll extend him after if he has a good season here. I think it's the perfect move. We knew the Falcons weren't going to be uh, keeping Calvin Ridley yep. do it now before there's more teams involved next year. And he's like a true number one receiver on the outside. It also puts Christian Kirk into a better role where instead of seeing nine targets a game, now that's six or seven and it's more design stuff. And he doesn't have as much pressure on him. And Trevor Lawrence hasn't been throwing as many deep balls uh, as what we had hoped, like actually like really down the field. And Calvin Ridley obviously brings a ton of that. So build around your franchise quarterback, uh, while he's relatively cheap, and I think Calvin Ridley was a very, very good move, and he seems happy with the landing spot, goes back to Florida. Oh, yeah. He's already sent out a montage of him oh, in yeah. a Jacksonville Jaguars jersey. Yeah, I think anyone who who followed the situation with Calvin Ridley in Atlanta knew he was never going to play another down for the yep. Falcons. Um that was the genesis of the move in the first place when he was linked with the Dolphins. And then apparently a, a deal was agreed to with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, in Rappaport kind of outlined how complicated this trade is. Like it can be a, a 2023 fifth rounder. If he's like reinstated, that can then go up to like a 2024 second rounder. If he signs a contract mm-hmm. extension with the, with the Jaguar. So it's like, I've never seen a draft pick associated to a possibility of signing extension. But I think because of how complicated this situation is, it does make a lot of sense in that regard. Just to dovetail your point, um, there has been no verticality, no explosiveness to the Jaguars offense at all here at all. And even though Christian Kirk was a vertical slot player in Arizona, it's not, he's not playing that role right now with, with the Jaguars. I mean, just 10.1% of his passes have gone deep this year, which is which ranks 22nd in the league. Now you bring in the player who was second in 2020 in terms of 20 plus yard targets with 36 in Calvin Ridley, a true number one who wins on the outside. Sure. We can get really hyped about this. Now it's two years basically removed from football. I truly hope that Ridley is in shape and shows up because if that's the case, this is a really, to use this word again, shrewd move by the Trent Balky yep. and, and the Jaguars that could really, really hit for them. They're going to be very fast. Travis Etienne, Kirk, and Calvin Ridley, that is, that's some serious speed. And they got they got um, some draft picks still as well. So uh, pretty, pretty promising stuff for the Jaguars. Just Trevor Lawrence went back and watched some of his game. Uh, that interception in the end zone was, uh, it's like my least favorite play call. They just go bootleg to the right or just a sprint out to the right. Uh, there's no pick play. It's just a yeah. one to one a, a outside receiver just running to the perimeter. The other wide receiver doing nothing. There's no man beating there. It's just like a shitty play design. I uh, really hated that, but he's been missing some throws. Um, we'll see. To your point, all six of his interceptions this year have been in the red zone or in two minute situations of one score games. People know my thoughts on Trevor. I'm biased. Uh, I think he'll figure it out. He just has to keep taking these jabs and not try to like hit that hero shot. Um, I did think that that was just an awesome play by Justin Simmons too, to like yeah. immediately catch a fastball while going up. But 
it those are the plays that obviously stand out to people. Um, but if you have an opposite opinion and you don't think Trevor's like that good series to series, then that's yours. And it's like easy, I think, to debate on both sides of it. My only point, if you thought he was a pure, perfect prospect coming out of Clemson, you were drastically wrong because even at Clemson, he was sailing or wanting two or four passes back per game. And he's just the exact same thing right now. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see him with Calvin Ridley hopefully in Christian Kirk and Travis Etienne, like you said, because that's some real explosiveness. And I bet Doug Peterson's play calling changes because of it, because everything now is condensed within 20 yards of the field. Right right now for 2023 best ball, where is Calvin Ridley's ADP wow. going to be? I'm going, let's just, this is a sicko question, but I'm going to go 42nd overall. Oh, that's way too high. You think so? He, he was, we were yeah, drafting him at like 11th no, no, overall, no. man. I, I know, I know. He, he was a, into the first second round player a couple of what prior to last season. Um, I bet he'll be wide receiver 60. That's around 42nd overall. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know in the comments where you would draft Calvin Ridley ahead of next year. Um, maybe I just said exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah, you said exactly what I said. What the hell? Okay, the Chiefs are coming out of a bye week. They also have a new wide receiver of their own shocker. Hayden Andy Reed says that Kadarius Tony is healthy. I'm just intrigued by if they get him packages, specific plays, manufactured touches immediately coming out of this buy. Yeah. I think they'll, they'll get him out there. I'm, I'm sure he's going to play like 30% of the snaps or something. You should not start him this week. Uh, this is more of a week just to, Watch the game and get excited to see what they're going to do here. We, we have no idea what's going to happen in the wide receiver rotation. I think this is bad news for McCole Hardman. I think just Kadarius Tony is a better version of McCole Hardman. I think it's eventually going to be bad news for MVS if Kadarius Tony is as good as we think. I think Juju's role is safe, and we'll see what happens here. I think that Patrick Mahomes got to be pretty pretty excited. And we got word prior to last week that Isaiah Pacheco was the starting running back. Uh, it doesn't it matter. It wasn't true like, oh, this is our lead back. Everyone can take notice of that. Uh, so I don't know if if that information is going to play itself out a bit differently in more games as they unfold, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you can't start any of the running backs. Right. There you go. That's the easier way of saying it. Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr got outplayed by Andy Dalton this past game. Now, I'm not going to say it's totally on him. Uh, I thought pass pro was a huge issue and has been a huge issue really for the big. Raiders right now. Um they do get the Jaguars and the Colts coming up these next two games. Should be get right spots. I know that some pieces in the Jaguars are fun, some pieces in the Colts are fun, but we keep getting these tweets after the game with the Raiders that like Mark Davis and Josh McDaniels are having closed door meeting in his office after these bad performances. I don't think it's a one season thing with McDaniels at all, especially with the general manager and him basically as a package deal, but it certainly isn't going as well as expected. That's easy to say. Well, they're spending all this money uh, on the offense, and then the offense throws a, a goose egg out there. So uh, my opinion, what happened was the offensive line really fell apart. And this entire offseason was talking about, hey, all the skill players look great, but this offensive line is really bad. We really haven't seen it all that much this year. I thought last week it really showed up. They weren't bracketing uh, Devontae Adams. I, th I thought that that could be happening. That was not what happened. 
a lot of his throws were just near the sideline. Not many in-breaking routes. Like you, I'm, where are all the option routes that we saw early in the season? I didn't really see any of them. There was a lot of just like back shoulder fades uh, to the sideline. These were just not getting completed. Derek Carr, there's two really bad plays I thought he had. He had one where he was stepping up and kind of just didn't set his feet. And that was that interception to, to zone coverage. And then there was one time where uh, Devontae Adams puts his hands up and Derek Carr just a little bit late ends up taking a sack instead of throwing a, a go ball down the field. So um, it's been a little bit of everything for, for the Raiders recently. I, I don't want to overcorrect just because they had one bad game. Because going into this, they were putting up a ton of points. I know it's been a pretty balanced approach with that, and Derek Carr hasn't been as good. But those points are still points. And uh, it was just a really bad performance by the offensive line, I thought. Los Angeles Chargers also coming out of their bye. Uh, Mike Williams is going to miss some time here. Yep. One to two to three games. Keen Allen, though, is going to come back into the lineup. So how are you? And again, we have weeks or shows, I should say, on Thursday and Friday. But how are you digesting the Keen Allen, Joshua Palmer, whoever else at pass catcher dynamic here? Yeah, it just kind of depends how healthy Keenan Allen is going to be coming out of this because he he tried to play the going into this and he kind of had a setback i guess he like tried and then he said i'm done and then he didn't practice yesterday so too early in the week to tell about that uh josh palmer has all the routes that are available to him we'll see what he can do with them uh yeah i've been disappointed by let's say the individual talent of josh palmer this year yeah um the theory of the play has come into fruition in both aspects here for joshua palmer where Hey, when Keen Allen misses, he's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets. When Mike Williams misses, he's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets. And yet, and this is the case with just the entire offense other than Austin Eckler too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not throwing that well. And then when they are, it's going to Mike Williams. You know, mm-hmm. like they're just not scoring touchdowns. Justin Herbert is one of the worst in terms of values and where they were picked. One of the worst fantasy picks I think this season. Yeah, he has been. I, I think a lot of that has been just some of the, the the rib injuries. He hasn't been taking as many downfield shots. I mean, that's never really been a part of the offense. Just wanted to throw out Josh Palmer over the last month has been the wide receiver 16 in usage and has done nothing with it. That's brutal. Yeah. That's brutal. So we'll, we'll see. I think that he belongs on the end of your bench if you're in a deeper league. And if Keenan Allen doesn't play, you you basically have to play him unless you think that the Chargers are going to be putting up like 20 points and Austin Eckler is going to go to the moon again. So um other last note, just Gerald Everett. Uh, he's got on-off splits with Donald Parman without. Parham had a concussion going into it. Um, he doesn't play as many s- snaps as usual, but this offense can completely change coming out of the bye. Lots of pressure on Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. I thought that the, there's a chance that the Chargers would make like a move for like Nelson Aguilar. I was hoping for Brandon Cooks, but it seemed like that was just not going to happen. But, like Nelson Aguilar type to give some speed. But man, who are they going to be playing on the outside w- wide receiver spots for that's- some speed? That's, that's a problem. That, that's my observation is if Keenan goes directly back into the slot in three wide receiver sets, we get Josh Palmer on the outside. That's keeping DeAndre Carter probably out of the lineup who's had some of the juice out of the slot. Like they can't necessarily play him on the outside. So is it going to be they Michael Dandy? They could put Keenan on the outside, I guess, and in, in three wide receiver sets. But I mean, this is Keenan Allen possibly on the hamstring and right. like what, 31 years old. And I thought that there were some signs that he wasn't looking quite as explicit. They're the problem. They have no speed right now. Uh, last place in in a skill player uh four by four one hundred, it would they would become in last place. Los Angeles Rams. Here's my pitch to all of you. Allen Robinson is tied for the NFL lead in targets inside the 10 yard line. 
this is why we wanted to pick him. He only has two touchdowns though on those uh, on those ten targets, which he's tied with Jason Kel- or excuse me, Travis Kelsey, who has six touchdowns on those. Um, look, I kept bringing that up during this offseason as like the reason to draft Allen Robinson because it was a lot of production for Odell Beckham last year. However, just the rest of it hasn't hit, and I still don't see this changing at all. I think it's pretty telling that a team that really wants to make moves when they feel like they are in contention for veterans didn't make any moves. Sure, they tried, but didn't make any at the end of the day to try to quote-unquote fix this 2022 roster. So all eyes are on Cooper Cup with his ankle injury. They said it's he's day-to-day, but we'll see if he suits up. Allen Robinson, I was very worried about Van Jefferson coming back, uh, but Allen Robinson still played 93% of the snaps last week. He actually had a season high and expected half PPR points. Only 12, though. Um, ben Skronik's the one that loses out with Van Jefferson back in, in the lineup and the running back situation, complete wild, wild West. They, I think there's a chance cam makers gets cut. Uh, cam makers says he doesn't want to play for the, the, the Rams, but also is like, Oh, I don't know what cam makers move is here. Um, but we, we should get Kyron Williams back versus Ronnie rivers versus Hendo versus Malcolm Brown. It's a stone cold nest because the offensive line isn't good. I guess Kyron Williams is a fantasy pickup. Um, and I hold on to Alan Robinson just in case Cooper Cup misses. Yeah, and I don't think Ronnie Rivers has any juice that and he's tiny to write home about after what we saw of him. And by the way, people out there, don't leave a comment. I'm joking with my Alan Robinson stuff. I know it's been shitty all season long. Um, just looking you, for glimmers of hope here. Usage you know? is up. Wide receiver 27 over the last month. I'm just saying. Look, the process. Let's just believe in the process. Miami Dolphins. Lot to touch on here. Uh, first, let's talk about the trade and the player they brought in. You know, they shipped away Chase Edmonds, who, when you look at um, rushing yards over expectation, was the worst in the league. You know, on average, he was leaving about, let's just say, over two yards on the field on each and every carry. That's hard to do. So they ditch him and they bring in Jeff Wilson, who is top seven in that category. And look, I'm not saying rush yards over expectation is a perfect statistic, but at the simplest level, when you get rid of the player who is worst on that list and bring in someone who is top 10 on that list, that's a positive. So what we've seen from Raheem Mostert over these last few weeks, he's dominating the backfield opportunities. Do you expect that to change bringing in Jeff Wilson, who obviously has a lot of history with Mike McDaniel? So I think Raheem Mostert was, practically maxed out just like given his age size injury history he played like 65 percent of the snaps i think that's the sweet spot for raheem mostert 50 to 65 percent of the snaps i think he will remain the 1a because i think that raheem mostert has been good jeff wilson swapping in for chase Edmonds, like you said is technically bad news for raheem mostert but i don't think it's gonna be that drastic of a difference i'll still be ranking raheem mostert as like an rb2 three kind of depending on the matchup. Uh, Jeff Wilson should know the exact offense. Uh, Jimmy G and Tua are starting to look more and more similar to me as the season progresses. So um, good news for Jeff Wilson because Eli Mitchell was coming back and he was obviously got cucked by Christian McCaffrey. Um, But I think it's a smart move for, for the dolphins. I mean, a fifth round pick seemed like a little bit rich, but it's a day three pick and they're trying to win a, a super bowl this year. They're all in. Yeah. What we saw with the Bradley Chubb trade, what we saw with this move is the team goes from trying to acquire a lot of picks to now willing to get rid of a lot of picks, which shows you a difference in in their mentality, which I think is great. 
you know, it now shows you that they believe Tua is their guy. Like, and he has proven to be that. Um, I did want to bring up some stuff on this passing game because it's been absurd this year, man. Like it is so freaking crazy how good this offense is when you consider that Tyreek Hill already has 92 targets this season. Um, 55% of the team's targets are funneled to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And when you reduce that down to 54% of that Dubo's targets are 10 plus yards down the field. It is creating explosive plays over and over and over again. Robert Mays yeah. made this great point where, you know, Tua and Marcus Mariota are one and two in the league in play action rate this season. And so if you get this deep play action concepts that sucks in the linebackers and because of the speed of both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, that pushes the safeties back because they don't want to get burned down the middle of the field. And so even in isolated coverage, you have Tyreek Hill stressing these vertically, then working back to the intermediate mm -hmm. area where there's about a 17 to 27 yard empty area right there that mm -hmm. boom, Tua just hits. It's perfectly designed right now. Throws over the middle are more efficient to, than throws on the outside and throws downfield are more efficient than throws underneath. And right now Tua even with some of his injuries this year is leading the NFL and passes over 10 yards downfield and over the middle. And that's that sweet spot, that Jimmy G sweet spot and why he's always first or close to first and EPA per play. He has 43 of them too. It does the next closest in the entire league is down at 32. So he's completely lapping the field in the most efficient part of uh, the field to throw passes to. So the big credit, obviously to the coaching staff, huge credit to Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. Uh, putting safeties uh, in absolute hell, and then Tua's doing just enough to throw it right over the middle. Yeah, I mean, look at all of these patterns that you can just picture in your head of, hey, I'm going to run right past you. Corner's like, don't get beat, don't get beat, don't get beat. Mm -hmm. And then he turns on a dime, the ball is right there, then picks up an extra five yards before. No one has a track meet like the Dolphins do right now. And it's crazy to even have Jalen Waddle as like your second option who... Yeah if things are shaded, if there's space that he can just run by with someone one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one too. I, I, I don't see this team slowing down at all. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Tua is now healthy. Cause again, I keep repeating this, what we saw in the first three weeks when Mike McDaniel was so much fun, even with getting fullbacks and stuff involved, like Kyle Juszczyk, a version, their own version of that with Alec Ingold. And I bet we're not done. You know, I mm -hmm. bet we're not done with how this is going to evolve for the next eight or nine weeks as well. Yeah. Right now, Jalen Waddle, his usage, very interesting. He's actually leading any player in my model on like the standard deviation of their usage, which means completely volatile week to week. There is no like trends here. Like one week he'll have eight fantasy points. The next week he'll have 30. It's all over the place with Jalen Waddle. Um, but that's just kind of a credit to the offense. There's some huge playmaking, um, very fun offense to watch. And, and two is two is two is battling. I didn't think that the film was, was pristine just because no. he underthrows some passes, but I will give him credit. I think that he's doing this better than anybody is all these play action. He whips his head around faster than just about anybody. And that ball is out. It is play action, turn around, boom, throw. Yeah. He has a pre-snap plan with everything. And if yeah. post-snap it's there, boom, I'm going to no. get it to you. And this offense is just constantly attacking, you know, mm -hmm. even on that first series, right after the Lions scored, they went for it at the 45 yard line on a fourth and four. Like it was mm -hmm. no big deal, mm -hmm. you know? They, they know they have the pieces. They 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 know that they um, have plays in their back pocket to hit those. And I think that was even like a 15-yard chunk game on that yeah. play. All the, like, the narratives of, like that Shanahan loves like playing like 
uh, with Jimmy G, like he, as he's like a joystick, I see the very similar things going on with Tua, which is a good thing and a, and a bad thing for Tua. I think that he could have a, a, a couple of season stretch like Jimmy G, where he's top five, top 10 in efficiency, even if there are some plays on tape where you're like a better quarterback expands on that but it truthfully is not going to matter that much because the epba per play and all that stuff is already lights out minnesota vikings they make a move for tj hawkinson there's a lot of layers to this deal at first i thought like four picks were going in the direction of the minnesota vikings but that is not the case i'll pull it up right here so the vikings get tj hawkinson a fourth round pick and a fourth round pick then the lions get a second round pick, I believe in 2023 and a third round pick in 2024. Um, So on some level, Hayden, they move back two rounds and then a round. But I think how I'm going to phrase this is TJ Hawkinson for a second round pick. And we leave it there. What do you think about the move? That's, that's what like the, the the trade charts kind of equal out. It's like somewhere in the second round here. So, um, I think it makes sense for the Vikings because the Vikings have a little bit of a window here. There's uh, the Kirk Cousins under contract. They're six and one. The NFC's kind of up for grabs. And TJ Hawkinson stylistically fits what I think Kevin O'Connell wants from a tight end compared to Irv Smith, who's more undersized, more of like a H-back type. And TJ Hawkinson is definitely a traditional. Um, and they can get Tyler Higby-type screens going to TJ Hawkinson. He definitely has enough wiggle for all that. I don't think he's an elite player, but he's certainly a good player. Um, I don't think this is good for his fantasy stock um, just because there's better options to throw the ball to uh, in my opinion. But uh, I think I understand the move from the Vikings. end. now I think the real debate is, do you want Hawkinson to build for the, I'm assuming there's going to be a rookie quarterback next year. Or would you rather have a second round pick? Um, I can kind of see the conversation going either way there. I think it just kind of determines like your evaluation of Hawkinson. I think he's a good, but not great player. Yeah. A few layers to this. Um, Kirk cousins has the third lowest percentage of pass attempts of 20 plus yards this season, 6.8. Like everything is really condensed on this offense. So they've been needing to win in like the short to intermediate game, even with Justin Jefferson on their team. That makes sense when TJ Hawkinson, you know, 65% of his targets are one to 10 yards down the field. And it also makes sense that he is what sixth, I believe, excuse me, fifth among all tight ends in yards after catch per reception at 8.8. Now you're seeing it on all the highlights on YouTube right now. Many of those are either screens or just a couple of big plays that maybe, you know, change the averages over these last few weeks, despite TJ Hawkinson being a top 10 player, I believe in the real NFL draft. I haven't seen that type of bona fide talent like we've seen from some others. But at the same time, second teams, second contracts. This is kind of when, you know, tight ends start to develop. I've really liked how Kevin O'Connell has um, created mismatches for Justin Jefferson when you see cover one or, or cover three. And while, you know, KJ Osborne had moments last week, while we've seen Adam Thielen have a couple more moments, this brings another element or another mismatch or another pass catcher, especially when you consider that Irv Smith just went on IR for eight to 10 weeks. Yeah, I think the Vikings are just underrated. So I, I do like this move. This makes the, the NFC uh, definitely more interesting. And on top of this, when you boil it down to the picks that the Lions received, it's just a second rounder, I think, at the end of the day. But it's pretty clear they weren't going to pay TJ Hawkinson. You know, if you're moving this type of player who is young 
I know it's not a premier position, then getting something for him makes sense. Well, why not just pay for him? Like, is there just evaluation that he's not worth it? That he's overrated? Yeah, I mean, like, you and I, you and I, kind of think he's an average right. player, and maybe based on where he was drafted in the top ten, he and his agent, and also the production that he's had so far this year, maybe mm -hmm. he and his agent think I need to be paid in the top five among all tight ends, and they might not be willing to do that. Yeah, I, I think I would pay him as a top five tight end, but I would not like the Mark Andrews money and all that stuff. I would not come anywhere near that. Top three tight end, maybe let's put it that way, since you have to like keep one upping it a yeah. little bit. Fair trade. I agree. I think it makes sense for both sides, especially where they're at. Mm -hmm. New England Patriots. Talk to me about this backfield because Damian down, Ramondre leads. Damian comes back, Ramondre leads. Damian back for another week after injury, a little bit of a split. And then Ramondre is the spark that really creates the juice for the Patriots to come back and win over the New York Jets. So first off with the model, he's the RB five over the last month. Uh, and last week he played 62% of the snaps. Damien Harris did technically start and Damien Harris still gets uh, like basically kind of every other drive uh, on the ground on the early downs. But Ramondre is playing the two minute drill. Ramondre closed out the last two games last week. Uh, it was when they were up. And then the previous week, it was when they were trailing Ramondre is out there. Quite frankly, I mean, if we have the tape to, sh to pull up here, I think Ramondre Stevenson's been one of the best running backs in the entire league this year. Like yep. his movement skills, breaking tackle ability, he's got just enough burst. His pass catching skills has been what has impressed me. There's a couple one handed grabs. They're designing some things out. There's a couple uh, like little Texas routes that come up here uh, in, in addition to screens, in addition to the stuff on the outside. He's just really, really good right now. I mean, a few of these plays, like the run right out of the uh, second half to me was again, the play that allowed them to, to win in this game. And look, you're not going to find a bigger Damien Harris supporter than I am. Also this summer, you couldn't find a bigger Ramondre Stevenson supporter than I am. This offense is kind of broken as it is right now. Like Mac Jones went back to being or having a second lowest time to throw. This run was incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, just a big back with balance and explosion. It's nuts. You know, you have to lean into this because the downfield passing stuff with Mac with no play action just has not been working consistently. What is consistently working is, is Ramondre Stevenson. He should get, and you know, this past weekend it was 24 touches. He got, he should see 20 touches a week. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, he's been excellent. I'm going to be ranking him inside uh, probably around like RB 12. I, I think that it's going to be like 60 to 70%. Uh, Ramondre in like 30-ish percent for for Damian Harris. Um, the pass game was not as bad as what I thought everybody was making oh. out to be when I was watching this. I thought that the interception that everybody was complaining about was kind of a problem with Jacoby Myers. Now, with that said, the offensive line has looked like a total mess. They're rotating their offensive linemen, which is never a good sign. If you have two right tackles, that means you have zero right tackles. And that's been an issue. I think some of the stuff early on in the game that Mac Jones was dealing with was offensive line related. Now. Um, Jacoby Myers has been kind of balling out like against man coverage and stuff. And they design a lot of stuff for Jacoby Myers. He's kind of dunking on my model right now. He's uh, averaging over three um, more points than what my model thinks he, he should be doing. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. The Mac Jones stuff I thought was a little overblown. He looked, he looked okay to me. Last mm. week. Okay. He still doesn't look like he did last year. 
No, no, no. He's a little more dancey, uh, but they did not he doesn't attack feel downfield. Yeah, he doesn't. He wasn't attacking and forcing things downfield last week, uh, which I thought was was a, a good sign. I, I thought that was an active decision by them. Again, I, I don't know if I finished this thought, but he had his shortest time to throw since the season opener this year. Yeah. You know, they, they, I think they included some of the Bailey Zappy stuff into what Mac Jones was all doing. All those Ramondre highlights right there. There's yeah. like, all right, Texas route against a linebacker, hit it. Swing pass, hit it. Like just... It's, and it's not we the should, sexiest, but we like, should not have to have Mac Jones, you know, running for seven, eight, nine yards as well. With uh, no. I mean, I think his eyes were a bit slow, and also the offensive linemen, especially Trent Brown, had like a long day. Yeah, at the office was, this past weekend, it was definitely a long day. They're getting nothing out of their tight ends. Oof. Nothing. New Orleans Saints, quick one for me. Alvin Kamara, three DT touchdowns. Uh, great regression that we got from there. Uh, I brought up Andy Dalton playing really well. He was kept clean on 93% of his dropbacks versus the Raiders. That's Max Crosby. That's Chandler Jones, who's been a huge disappointment this season. But when Andy Dalton has had time this season, he's played pretty damn well. He has. He really has. It's just getting the ball out to Alvin Kamara, who's looked excellent the last couple of weeks. I thought he had a bad start to the season. Uh, and then he's looked much better since then. And things are only getting better for Mark Ingram or for Alvin Kamara because Mark Ingram is going to miss some time here. And they don't really trust any of their other running backs. So he, he can even see more usage. And he's had the best outcome possibly going from Jameis to Andy Dalton than having their wide receivers all banged up. I still have not heard anything on the Michael Thomas front. So no. until then, it's it's Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara. And uh, uh, like you said, Andy Dalton's keeping his offense afloat. Yep. Totally agree with you. Okay. New York Giants. Uh, Wandale Robinson let people down. I would say maybe your expectations of Wandale Robinson were a, a bit too high. I think one, the offense has to play well for Wandale to hit. And then also just the archetype of a player that he is. Uh, he's a pure slot who is winning with space created for him in the intermediate uh, or short area of the field on these over patterns. Um, he's not your George Pickens isolation on the outside let's go up and get it so i think all rookie wide receivers are not like the same so let's not think of them in the same way does that make sense yeah this is like too much spreadsheet twitter for for wandell robinson to me i I agree he's a good player i really like him like again in totality on the team he probably has the most explosiveness to him but when the seahawks defense actually playing a lot better um Daniel Jones still has to thread the needle to these passes like Darius Slayton and stuff over the middle of the field. I just don't see like a massive ceiling for Wandale, you know? It takes a lot of work to get him to like wide receiver 30. I'll put it that way. A lot of targets. New York Jets. Let's talk about Garrett Wilson um, because he had his best day since, let's say, the Joe Flacco days. Mm -hmm. Seven targets, six receptions, and 115 yards. I'll I'll pull up the tape here. Um, A lot of this was really, really early on for Garrett Wilson. But they got him a pop pass, um, then out and up for him as well. Um, this was probably the best throw of the game. And exactly when Zach Wilson is escaping the pocket, you saw Garrett Wilson to try to hit these throws as well, dancing along the side and being like, hey, man, I'm open, I'm open. And it just didn't hit perfectly. Um, with that said, it's the Buffalo Bills next. It's these same New England Patriots next. And I think based on the Zach Wilson performance that he showed, this team will continue to not trust him in positive and neutral game scripts. Garrett Wilson over the last month of the season is the wide receiver 68 in usage, the wide receiver 60 in production. Uh, I'm not sure what to do with Elijah Moore here. Obviously he was flat out benched for some 
total scrubs. Uh, we'll see if that was a one one game thing or if they're going to go to him here. Uh, I do think that Zach Wilson needs all the help that he can possibly get. So I would recommend playing Elijah more if I am the Jets. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like get pumped for Garrett Wilson because I think he's a fun player. It's definitely got the athleticism stuff, but don't get your expectations too high because all of a sudden the Jets are going to throw up uh, six points in a game. It's not going to be very fun. Yeah, it's. I don't think that Zach Wilson is going to even match the production that he saw this past weekend against the Buffalo Bills. Like no. if you thought this was bad, He's just toasty. wait. Um, running backs though. Uh, Michael Carter. Oh yeah. We should talk about this. I would say some good things, some bad things. Uh, 56% snaps from Michael Carter, which is a little bit lower than what I was hoping for. He did have 14.1 expected half PPR points, which is a good thing. That's about, what he had as a rookie once he was kind of the lead back. Uh, Ty Johnson got in there. James uh, Robinson got in there for 22% snaps. But uh, if it's going to be a three three rotation backfield, I'm going to be wrong on Michael Carter to an extent. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens um, with, when the game scripts kind of flip out. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's closer to like running back 25 instead of like running back 18. And if we... Sided rushing yards over expected earlier, which again, I'm not saying is a perfect metric, but Michael Carter's like bottom seven in that this year too. He, he has not been breaking as many tackles this year. I don't know what's up. I know he he was awesome last season. One of the best between the tackles runners in the league. Uh, and it just hasn't worked out this year, but I, I think there might be some time. However, offensive line is also just worse now without AVT. So yeah. uh, it, it might not be one of those great running back insurance plays. Once they reach the starter status that we were hoping for with, uh, with Michael Carter this year. Play better. Come on. Come on. Okay. Philadelphia Eagles. This is the team who's playing on Thursday. It's also the team who will be the focal point of this week's scheme. Uh, my only comment here, because I'll save a lot with my show with Josh McCown later this week. I think both Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders are top 10 in carries inside of the 20-yard line this season. Um, and with that said, with the, how good the rushing game has been over the last few weeks, they brought back the explosive plays with A.J. Brown this past weekend, too. Yeah, it's it's the perimeter shots. I can't wait to see what McCown says about this. It it looked gorgeous to me. He's such a baller. Um, my only really big thing that I was going to come to the table with on this is Miles Sanders a little bit on off splits with Boston Scott. And this sounds crazy. I never have brought this up before, mm. but games with Boston Scott, he's averaged nine point seven expected half PPR points in the two weeks without Boston Scott, twenty two point eight and fifteen point one. And what happens is later in the game when the Eagles are up by a ton of points because they're so damn good. Uh, Boston Scott's the one that like is the trustworthy between the tackles rusher. Now they don't use him early in the game because they want the explosiveness that Miles Sanders brings to the table. But uh, Miles Sanders hasn't been playing as much uh, since it's gone to kind of a three back rotation there. But it really doesn't matter when they sling the ball downfield and stuff. That's where the offense is best at. My point to this is when you looked at Jalen Hurts at the end of last season, everything to the right was his comfy place, his cushion. Uh, now you're seeing that he is extremely comfortable throwing to the left. And then that intermediate portion over the middle of the field too, where AJ Brown has thrived. It's an added element to this team. So yeah. we keep bringing it up. It's just different dimensions to Jalen hurts that he's shown so far through eight weeks. And then on top of that, it's added dimensions that this offense can beat you in multiple ways. It's just sick. Very good. <laughs> Everyone wishes they were the Eagles right now, unless you're the, the chiefs and the, uh, in the bills. Okay. Pittsburgh Steelers. So if one player leaves in chase Claypool, 
Does that mean that there is any slack to be picked up for Deontay Johnson and George Pickens? Definitely. Uh, Chase Claypool over last month was the wide receiver 28 in usage. Uh, George Pickens was the wide receiver 48. Now, last week, George Pickens was playing ahead of Chase Claypool and two wide receiver sets, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, so no, I think this is what exactly what this offense needed. Uh, get rid of Claypool, bring the target tree to Jess, Fryermuth, Deontay, and George Pickens. Right now, Deontay Johnson is the worst player, according to my model. Um, it's absurd. Like, he's absolutely breaking my model here. I, I think this is just good news for, for George Pickens. I think he's the best wide receiver on the team, has some confidence in him. He just needs the offensive line and uh, for Kenny Pickett to play better, to have a chance. I, I, I think it's, it's a very capped team. Regardless, yeah. speaking of worst players, uh, Kenny Pickett on throws over 10 yards downfield so far this season, according to Rich Rebar, mm-hmm. he's 15 of 42, which is mm-hmm. a 35% completion rate, which is lowest in the league, a 6.9 yards per attempt, which is lowest in the league, uh, zero touchdowns and seven interceptions, which is most in the league. So yep. uh, I'm not putting this all on him. Uh, I know everyone in Pittsburgh wants Matt Canada already out of his job. And then the offensive line has just been brutal. Um, I actually thought that Kenny Pickett still has some moxie to him in a weird way. Like he's a gamer. You punch him in the mouth. He'll want to like deliver one back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's a limited player other than like having that gamer inside of him. Yeah. he He's just like the opposite of that of the evaluation that you think he would have. Like he's not the like sit in the pocket and distribute the ball. He's got a little more uh, outside space wiggle to him, more gamer than you would think. Um, but yeah, I agree. He's not some exceptional player. All right. We'll end with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll go over. I can't wait to talk about this one in the San Francisco 49ers because we finally got to see Christian McCaffrey unleashed. And it was what, like 26 touches in his full debut for the 49ers. Um, I have so many highlights to show you here, <laughs> but what did you see when watching CMC? Because it's exactly what we could have hoped for, where Kyle Shanahan has never had a player like this in his past, has already orchestrated awesome offense, and now he gets a unique talent across the league and changes his offense for him. I think Shanahan's going to show off. You know, like he's probably got this like other playbook that he's going to unleash with with CMC. I know that he threw in that designed uh, touchdown pass from from CMC uh, this week, but yeah, very fast player got to the edge a couple times here all, all these option routes uh are exceptional this is like such an insane play um from christian mccaffrey but i think it's really helpful for jimmy g because i'm hoping some of those really bad interceptions over the middle where he's kind of panic and dancing uh instead of throwing those over the middle for interceptions those are design stuff to christian mccaffrey like that that's like the perfect jimmy that jimmy g that could have been easily been a, an interception over the middle, but now it's like, yep. Hey, go find Christian McCaffrey and let, let him cook. I think that's going to be the primary difference here. Yeah. I want to talk about this because this is second and six, I believe on the first series of the game and Jimmy gets to his third read. The ball is caught from Christian McCaffrey three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And he's one-on-one with Bobby Wagner beats him to the corner. And it's an easy gain of 10 yards that has previously not been in the back pocket. When you talk about Jeff Wilson, Eli Mitchell, Trey Sermon, Ty Davis Price, that wasn't possible. There's some get out of jail free cards now yeah. with Jimmy Garoppolo in this. And this play was even better, I thought, from Christian McCaffrey. How often do you see this? Pay attention to him on the right of your screen here. You see that Leonard Floyd takes a wide angle in his pass rush, 
And so rather than stringing it out, Christian McCaffrey cuts in front of him to go into his route. This is a third and seven here in the second quarter makes Taylor Rapp miss immediately and then gets enough yardage for the first down. I want to rewind here because this change in his route is not something that you'll see, I think, from any other running back out there. It's just the awareness that he brings to this table that, hey, this is an offense that wants to be in second and manageable, third and short. And now we don't have to force and manufacture wide runs to Debo Samuel as often as we need to. Or if it's not over the middle, boom, now we have an edge presence too in uh, Christian McCaffrey. And there was one that after a couple of those shorter patterns, there was like a high-low read with him and George Kittle. So much focus on CMC up front because, again, some of those earlier receptions. And then, boom, we're able to hit George Kittle for a bigger play down the field. Fun wrinkles. This this offense is going to be sweet, man. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and this on, on the touchdown, I mean, it was just supposed to be a little flare out to the right mm-hmm. side. And look, Christian McCaffrey is a different talent who here running with power, running between the tackles, not just an airback on the outside. He ran a bunch of power during his time in Carolina, had short yardage work as well. And so again, on that touchdown catch, just the awareness that he has, he's like, I'm just going to continue this in the end zone. If he sees me, he sees me. Yep. Great throw, great catch going up and getting it. Season new, high. New dimensions, new elements for mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan. That's like unfair, but it's great for us as third-party observers. Season high, 24.5 expected half PPR points for Christian McCaffrey. Oh. Season high. So maybe we get both the volume and the efficiency. So it's like the best of both worlds here for Christian McCaffrey. He, he would, rest of season rankings, he'd be your first overall player? Yeah. Is it even close? Is there Who, who would even be close? I mean, the wide receivers and Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. Those would be the next closest ones. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I can put Austin Eckler up there with him with how like that offense is playing out right now. I can't put Saquon Barkley up there because um, at some points there's, st- yeah, they're, they're still relying on the big play. And, you know, Evan Neal's been out, Brent Bredersen's been out right now. Chris McCaffrey's got it all at this moment. Um, and you saw Trent Williams open up some caverns on the left side. I know Mike McGlinchey's still a liability at right tackle, but just get average play from the rest of those four pieces, and we're Gucci. Yep. Seattle Seahawks. Uh, wish I had asked for the highlights here, because DK Metcalf still looked unreal, like missing no time. Um, I know Marquise Goodwin like had a drop for a touchdown. It's really meaningless, and Tyra Lockett had some misplays, but I think that really encapsulates who Seattle is this year. You see, like let's say for the Jaguars, for example, okay? If the Jaguars fail on two to four plays, like that is the margin of wins and losses for them. The Seahawks had about two to four plays from big time players trusted in their team that didn't hit fumbles near their own end zone, missed touchdown catches by two of those. And yet with how they're playing right now, they overcome it. And to me, that speaks volumes for the lasting power of what the Seattle Seahawks can be this season. I've not watched this game. I, I do want to go back. It seemed like kind of a chaotic game. Um, only notes here, Kenneth Walker, 77% of the snaps in week eight, even with Travis Homer back uh, in his three starts, he's been averaging 15 expected half PPR points. And I know he's going to be better than the average player in my model. So uh, locked in RB one and then DK Metcalf just investigating what his uh, Patel attendant is made out of. That's, that's so crazy. You're going to be shocked at how good he looks and how much contact he battles through regardless of it. Um, it's not so stuff. DK's the man. Tyler Lockett's the man. Gino's the man. And Kenneth Walker, top five back the rest of the way. 
he'd be close. Uh, also, shout out Pete Carroll. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know Dayball's been like coach of the year stats, but I mean, Pete Carroll has not been far behind. No. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Everyone has pitched Tony Pollard to play over Ezekiel Elliott. I think it might be about time to pitch Rashad White over Leonard Fournette. I know Rashad White's like jumped into like the 25 to 33% just snaps. The yeah. touches haven't been close in that regard. But when you see Rashad White enter the lineup, it's just more pop to his game, more zip to his game. And it's something that the team needs right now. Yeah, he's still been a little bit chaotic in general, but same thing with Leonard Fournette. And I, I would like to see the move. Um, it's not a post-buy rookie bump, but they are getting extended times as they played early on. So um, i like to see the change. I'm not banking on it, but Rashad White should be rostered everywhere. I did make Chris Godwin the cover image on the famous usage model on Underdog Network because he's averaging over four points under ex- expected, according to my model, which is absurd. Usually it's about four points over expected because Chris Godwin's so damn good. He has not been connecting uh, with Tom Brady. I don't think it's a, a physical thing. I've seen Chris Godwin make some pretty great plays. This offense has been a little bit discombobulated, and I think that they'll figure it out, uh, maybe not to the full extent, but to better than what they have been right now. And there's no way that Chris Godwin is going to be as in- inefficient as he is right now. So if you can find a dumb league mate that has Chris Godwin, go take advantage, go trade for him. That's my biggest advice from this pod. Yeah, the idiots who aren't subscribed to this channel, go and get Chris Godwin from them. If you're not going to share this damn video with your friends, at least uh, rip them off in the trade markets. Tennessee Titans. So Malik Willis gets his first start. Um, attempts 10 passes. Looks awful throwing the he's football. Not, he's not it. He's not it. It's it, That's pretty clear. The game goes so fast for him that even when like the primary read is there, he like double clutches it, works off, runs around, and tries to go back to the primary. I was interested if a lot of their rushing success since like, you know, Derek Henry went over 200 yards. Dontrell Hilliard had 80 yards himself. If that was really reliant on Malik Willis's, let's say, gravity or the defense being conscious of his rushing ability and not really like, no, this is there, were, Henry, man. <laughs> there were about like, I don't know, two to four to six read actions where they did hold someone off the opposite side, yeah. but it wasn't like every single run. You know, it was really just Derrick Henry and Dontre Hilliard being good talents. And then, so what I'm getting to is Malik Willis just going to go straight back to the bench. There was mock drafts when Malik Willis was first overall, like a couple months ago. It's, I'm, I'm, I'll leave it at that. I might've put one of those out. First overall? No, I don't know if I did. I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I, you're better than that. You, you're the, you know, what's funny is I would say what half the people that listen to the show now have no idea that you had the best mock draft of all time. Like we've added so many new, new new people. They have no idea that you have the greatest mock draft that has ever touched a computer. Yeah. The internet. Uh, if you search NFL mock draft, there are what, like 10 billion search results. <laughs> yeah. And, and the best one nailed 50% of the, uh, 2021 NFL draft nine of the first 10 picks. Fun fact. This close was the Washington commanders. Um, just a weird backfield situation, man. Like it's, it's not even worth our time. Okay. I, I think that's the easiest way of putting it. I do want it. The reason I didn't want to bring it up was it felt like this organization was out on Antonio Gibson as soon as he fumbled this preseason and they were going to pivot on over to Brian Robinson. It feels like 
Antonio Gibson has garnered more trust at this point. But again, even this past weekend, because where the offensive line is in disarray, most of his production was in the receiving game. Brian Robinson just can't move. Like, I don't yeah. like, I don't know what to say. He just doesn't have the juice right now. And Antonio Gibson's getting some scheme touches. You can't split the Washington backfield into three and expect fantasy points. So I can, unless like the only thing that you can possibly say is Antonio Gibson's going to take all of Brian Robinson's work. And then we ha- might have something there. Um, so maybe you can squeeze something out of Antonio Gibson, but uh, I'm not sure if Brian Robinson came back too early or if this is just who he is as a player. And that was kind of the fear coming in. It just doesn't have that much juice. Um, but right now the offensive line, just the offense in general, it's a lot of prayers up to uh, Terry McLaurin who had one hell of a game, but yep. I'm, I'm very nervous about what this offense can be. This is one of those teams that can come away with 10 points this next week. And I would not be surprised. Yep. All right. That's going to do it. I have scheme to tape tomorrow. That should be out on your feed on Fridays. Hayden and I both have shows on Tuesdays, excuse me, Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, Thursday will be tiers, rankings, whatever you want to call them, with quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. And then uh, Friday, it's the 10 or 20, whatever we're feeling like. Our guys 20 this week. week nine. Our guys of week nine. That's going to do it for us go check out the fancy usage model it is linked in the description down below diggable daniel aaron scampers jeff jay trevor my challenge to all of you send this show this channel to one of your friends copy the link put it in the group chat and be like yo these guys are fun they talk about football go watch them that's our challenge to you Baseball? And use promo code the show. Promo code the show. I mean, I was just looking to see what we have up. We have we have rivals tabs. We got we got the whole thing. There's All esports. Right. I know you nerds are doing this stuff. Okay, that's gonna do it for us. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the villa. We will talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>